Shalom, and welcome to the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast, discovering the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith. And now, from beautiful Brandon, Florida, here are your hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. This is Ryan Cabrera in studio, and I have a very exciting guest with me today, Mr. Hanukh Young, uh, all the way 6,000 miles from, uh, from Israel today. And uh, we are going to just do a little interview, kind of learn a little bit more about him, what he's up to lately, and uh, kind of some history and stuff like that. So how's it going, Hanukh? Great. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're thrilled to have you. Um, so... First, I just want to start off with just learning more about you, where you're from, uh, kind of some background and stuff like that. Um, so where'd you grow up? Where are you from? How okay. all, all that kind of stuff. Well, as you can probably hear in my accent, uh, this is not an Israeli accent. Uh, this accent was born and raised in the Bronx in New York City. Um, grew up one of the very few Jewish families in an Irish Catholic neighborhood. Um, that was really significant because in that era... That would have been the 60s and 70s. Um, Basically, everyone in the neighborhood wanted to, you know, beat my brains in because, you know, I was the local Christ killer as far as they were concerned. (laughs) So looking back on it, sadly, other than my parents of blessed memory, I really don't have great experiences uh, from childhood. But I guess it kind of set the stage for, you know, what happened later on in life. And eight and a half years ago, in September 2009, I became an Israeli. Uh, fulfilled my dream of going on Aliyah, um, and I'm a licensed Israeli tour guide. Wow, that's awesome. So so you grew up in the U.S. all the way up until 2009, and then since then you've been, an Is- I guess, an, Is- an Israeli. Yes, absolutely. Got it. And so uh, tell me about the process of making Aliyah. What made you want to make Aliyah? Um, why did you do it? What, okay. All that kind of stuff. Well, I, I guess I, I really should, should mention, I didn't grow up in a religiously observant home. Um... The synagogue that my, my family belonged to was part of the quote-unquote conservative movement. I put it in quotations because that was really the affiliation of the synagogue. We did not uh, keep kosher. We didn't observe Shabbat. We didn't know what any of those things really meant. You know, it was something that, you know, we went to synagogue a couple of days a year. Um, I had my bar mitzvah. I memorized the entire haftarah. Uh, interestingly enough, that's the uh, prof- uh, prophetic portion associated with the weekly Parsha, the weekly Torah portion. Um, it turned out to be for Parshat Nitzavim, which is from the book of Isaiah, the end of chapter 61, all of chapter 62, and part of chapter 63. I didn't realize at the time how those particular words, you know, you know, for this, you know, for, for Zion's sake, I will not be quiet. I mean, I, I didn't realize that that was, in effect, shaping what became, you know, later on in life for me. Um, so, oops, thank you. Um, so, the sort of seminal moment in my life which changed the direction was after high school, I had two teachers, a husband and a wife, um, I went to public high school, uh, never had a uh, yeshiva education, um, and my high school was 7,200 boys on triple session. It was, it was wow. 
I mean, That's the irony is my graduating class was under 800 people. I mean, there was <laughs> tremendous attrition. It, was, it really wasn't that impressive. It's kind of a factory, you know, you, you, know, you go in, you leave. Um, so they arranged, this is a couple that uh, were, were, were tour leaders uh, to groups to Israel, youth groups. So they arranged for myself and a few of my classmates to get very substantial scholarships to enable us to go. We were on the certainly lower end of the socioeconomic scale. And this way, I was able to go to Israel for seven full weeks, and it cost my parents $295, which was amazing. That is amazing. I had never been on an airplane. Um, those were really small airplanes then. I think that must have been a 707, where you basically had three seats on one side, three seats on the other, and an aisle in between. Uh, not exactly like air travel now. I do remember that was back in the early 70s, 1973 to be exact. Uh, People were smoking on the airplanes. I mean, it's just, it's a different world back then. It was really weird. Um, so I go to Israel. Um, seven full weeks touring the country it was amazing. Um, but like other teenagers, I'll be honest with you, I came back, I wasn't, I mean, it was great, but I, I didn't have any burning desire to, you know, go off and live in Israel. Um, I was 16 years old. I had just graduated high school, was starting college. I had skipped a grade. And what happened was the Yom Kippur War broke out, October 1973. Israel faced with an absolute disaster. Uh, we got caught with our pants down, so to speak. Our military intelligence misread all these signs, and Israel was in tremendous danger. And I began thinking to every single young man and woman soldier, where were they right now? Were their lives, you know, in danger in the Golan Heights and on the Sinai Peninsula at the Suez Canal? And it changed the direction of my life. I got involved in Jewish activism. And now I say activism, you have to remember that that time in the early 70s, every ethnic, racial, and religious group had its militant faction, including us Jews. And we did a lot of different things. And by the time I was 20 years old, I had already been arrested on three different continents, all for nonviolent actions. And that was in an era where you could basically stage a sit-in and get page three of the New York Times. I mean, now, God forbid, you'd have to kill a school full of kids. It's terrible. Um, but back then was different. I began studying the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible. I began getting involved in my Jewish life. And without a doubt had committed myself to going to Israel to live. And then there's a very famous quote from a very prominent rabbinic sage, John Lennon, who said, <laughs> who said, life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. And sure enough, you know, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Sure. So I had this vague goal of going to Israel and, you know, but I needed to work, I needed to get some money. And, you know, then, then you, you know, you, you want, you know, your life takes over and, 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 you know, relationships and children and all kinds of stuff. And then you find that the pages of the calendar are just flying by. So even though I was committed to going to Israel, it took me a really long time. And what I realize now in hindsight, I experienced a series of trials. And I failed them, to be honest with you. Um, 
I would get laid off from a job. One or both of my parents got ill. My father passed away. There was always something, you know, and then you're raising children. There was always something. And then finally, I determined that I was going on Aliyah. I was going to Israel no matter what. I set the date. I began making the arrangements. And then within two months after that, making those plans, I had a very serious cellulitis infection in my leg. Um, and I was working one of those jobs where, you know, you don't want to, you don't really feel that you could take off time from work because you have a, you know, boss that's there and, you know, kind of, you know, cracking the whip. Make a long story short, two rounds of oral antibiotics didn't kick out the infection. It continued to progress up my leg. My physician was very concerned, had me admitted to the hospital, which I had refused to go in previously. Uh, two vascular surgeons looked at me, they did a sonogram, uh, and they basically came back and said, listen... The infection's already at your lymph nodes. Uh, we're going to begin administering oral antibiotics, but we'll be honest with you, it's life-threatening at this point, which I couldn't understand because a week before in Krav Maga, I had beaten up two 25-year-olds in sparring. I just, you know, <laughs> I, like, you know, I was like, I, I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. And that was on a Thursday evening. And all Shabbat, all Friday afternoon, Shabbat evening, Shabbat afternoon, I just kept praying to Hashem, to God, to please just give me that one more chance. And I would go to Israel and I would do, you know, all these things that I had, had sworn to myself that I would do. And astonishingly, by Sunday night, I was already discharged from the hospital. Wow. Uh, I had almost two weeks of home health care. Then I go back to work to find out that my job was restructured. It was eliminated. I was an assistant executive director of a large uh, Jewish community center in Brooklyn and found myself overnight. Now, again, this is in January 2009. I'm going on Aliyah in September. And my income, and of course, you know, not having saved a lot in the years prior, I was really counting on that. And I went overnight from earning $110,000 a year to $405 a week unemployment. Oof. Um, and I saw that as the final nisayon, the final trial. And this time I didn't back down. This time I said, you know what? Regardless, I'm going. And I did. And I got to Israel and I have to tell you, the sense of self-satisfaction that I had finally made it, fulfilled the divine will, you know, completed the, what was required of me, so to speak, you know, fulfilling the mitzvah, the commandment of living in Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, and that sense of self-satisfaction lasted a full three days. <laughs> and then I began feeling, well, I was brought here for a reason. And that reason was, as I soon determined, was to become an Israeli tour guide because who else was going to be prepared to show Ephraim our homeland once again? Okay, so so obviously you're mentioning Ephraim and being a tour guide. So there's obviously yeah. a backstory yeah. to, to that before yeah. we get a to nice here. A nice juicy backstory. Yeah, so so obviously you uh, you are now in Israel, but before this, yes, uh, you had to have found out about Ephraim, the Lost Tribes of Israel, yeah. some sort of a connection there. And so uh, obviously that's something right. that I want to hear about. Okay. So I want to hear, how does, how does it, uh, a Jew who uh, doesn't necessarily know about the Lost Tribes of Israel not only learn about the lost tribes of Israel, but then you know devote their life to yeah. trying to, to restore and regather the whole house of Israel. Okay, 
Well, the good news is that we've got three hours for this podcast, so we'll be able to go into all the details. Minimum. Okay, Minimum. fantastic. Okay, well, the irony is this is the very end of April right now. Yeah, it is. Okay. You're right. If you go to exactly the last weekend in April of 1994, 24 years ago, I had seen a small ad in the Jewish press, which was a Jewish newspaper in New York, not a really not a good newspaper and not one that I read regularly, but I was sitting one Shabbat afternoon. I'll be honest with you, I was a little bored. You know, I just read, you know, some book on history, you know, yeah. something exciting like, you know, Josephus. <laughs> oh, um, and I'm thumbing through this newspaper and all of a sudden, like in the middle of the page, it was a small ad. There was an organization called United Israel World Union. I had never heard of them. Some organization formed in 1944, was having its annual meeting in New York City, and the goals of the organization were the ingathering of the lost tribes of Israel and one, what they called, one mosaic faith for the entire world. I was more than a little surprised. Now, you'd mentioned about not knowing about the lost tribes of Israel. Now, let me tell you, in Hebrew school, which was, you know, like, you know, sort of a, a Sunday school kind of, uh, thing we you know you always read about the legends of the lost tribes of Israel sure. you know the, the 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 fabled or mythical mysterious ten lost tribes but you know listen after the age of exploration was over and there wasn't a hidden place on earth you know we didn't know what happened to them and I wasn't familiar enough with Torah study at the time to know what the prophets of Israel speak about. So I go to this meeting, and there are only about 35 people there. And I'm looking around, I'm thinking, this is really weird, because I'm the only Jewish person there. <laughs> so, like, what is this, United Israel World Union? I'm the only Jewish guy there, and it's about the lost tribes of Israel? And it was right then, at that moment, at that meeting, that I began meeting people who said to me, you know, I'm not Jewish, but I think I'm part of Israel. And I have to tell you, it was like, you know, one of those moments from the Twilight Zone, you know, do-do-do-do-do-do-do. It's like, really? How's it possible? And then I did what was a very smart thing. I went back to the source. I went back to the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible. And in reading through word for word over and over again, the Nevi'im, the prophets of Israel, I discovered what I then thought was the best kept secret in the entire Hebrew Bible. That all the prophets of Israel are talking about the restoration of Judah and Ephraim. Ephraim, as I soon learned, was also referred to as Israel, Samaria, and Joseph. Four terms, same group of people. And again, you know, I had studied enough history to know that after the death of Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, the kingdom split into two, the kingdom of Judah in the south, the kingdom of Israel, Ephraim, Joseph, Samaria in the north, the Assyrian exile, 722 before the common era, they came in, took the northern kingdom's inhabitants away to disappear seemingly into the pages of history. Although, as I just said, all the prophets of Israel speak about them returning. Yeah, and a, you know, an interesting detail about that, them taking them away, um, I think that, you know, sometimes people say, well, they didn't actually leave or they went to the south or this and that. And there's probably a, a dispersion to everywhere, right? Yes, absolutely. But 
I think one of the details that's left out a lot of times is that the uh, the Assyrians actually planted their own people yeah. in Samaria to become the quote unquote Samaritans that you hear about in the New Testament. Yeah, the you know whether wow you know that's that's a long complicated issue. It is. In and it of is. Itself. I didn't mean to bring anything well, up. Well, you know the you know the, the the Samaritans and their 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 origins um, in Jewish sources they're referred to as the Kutim, the Kuthites or Kutites. Um, but that was the Assyrian policy as compared to, let's say, when the Babylonians, about 160 years later, came in and destroyed Judah, Judea, and they took the what were then known as the Jewish people, the Judeans, to Babylon into captivity, they didn't replace them in, their, in, in the land of Israel. So when Koresh, Cyrus, came and issued a decree that the Jewish people could return to Israel, there was no one there. Right. <clears throat> and they were able to return and rebuild. But yeah, that's an excellent point. Yeah. No, it's so, okay, so keep going where, where you've discovered okay. now that you've, you've yeah, right. found these people who think that they're part of Israel, and they don't know that they're Ephraim. They don't necessarily know. They just... Well, they, they know that they're part of Israel, and the terminology, interestingly enough, changed. Back in 94, for a couple of years... People were just using the term lost tribers. Hmm. And then there was a push. Now, I hope everyone's sitting down because this is like, and you can't make this stuff up. There was a push among many people. Now, remember, the internet is just starting. The uh, internet is awesome. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Al Gore had just invented the internet. Yes. Remember, he claimed credit for and it. And a good job he did. Okay. So, but there's no, there's no Facebook. There's no social media. So everyone's using these massive email lists, you know, where you put like 75 people that you know and you're all sending emails back and oh, forth. Oh, yeah, yeah, Very yeah. unwieldy. But the push was to use the term, and some were saying B'nai Yosef, sons of Joseph, B'nai Ephraim, sons of Ephraim, Josephites. People wanted to use the term Josephites. And why? Because then for short, we could have Joes and Jews. Seriously, this was, this was actually a big issue in people's minds. We could have Jews and Joes. You know, when I hear Joes, I always think of like the G.I. Joe commercials. Like, yeah. go Joe! You know, yeah, it, yeah. So, but anyway, so that was an issue. Um, for lack of a better term, Ephraimites uh, has been more... I mean, people were also using 10 Israel. Um, you know, it's kind of... Like the expression that my mother of blessed memory used to use, call me whatever you want, just don't call me late for dinner. So, you know, it, it doesn't really matter the name. Now, for people coming from a background in Christianity, they might relate to it more in the sense of being grafted in. Sure. Um, so, but the terminology, because again, that you know, the, the key prophecy that we all turn to, Yecheskel, Ezekiel 37, the two sticks coming together. And again, that's a key point. The two sticks, actually, the word in Hebrew is karev, to come close, they only become one in Hashem's hand, in God's hand Amen. himself. Yeah. But the two sticks represent four population groups. The stick of Ephraim, Joseph, and those associated with him, and the stick of Judah, the Jewish people, and those associated with them. So the reality is, if you want to be part of this party, if you feel in your heart that you've been woken up to this understanding that you're part of Israel, you fit in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's an interesting point. The, um, 
you know, even the even the phraseology in in the that prophecy talks about uh, the stick of Judah and the children of Israel, his companions, yeah. and then the stick of of Joseph in the hand of Ephraim. But then it says that it's all the house of Israel, his companions. So yeah. it, it, it's almost it's almost like look if you're if you're uh, a, a a believing uh, Christian who's grafted in quote unquote, you fit into this house of Israel subset With, without a doubt. Either way. Without a doubt, and you know, it's... which which kind of puts away the whole idea of this bloodline. I, I think that what happens is within within messianic circles, Hebrew root circles, this is a controversy. The whole idea of the two houses, and I think that part of it's a controversy because there's some lunatics out there running away with some crazy ideas, um, which which could be true, but we have no way to prove it. We have no way of do, of knowing, and it doesn't matter because there's a clear way to say you're part of Israel you're in, why do you have to go down this rabbit trail in order to try to make it more legitimate than it already is? You know, it's so interesting you mention it, and, you know, it's that scary expression of the lunatics running the asylum. (laughs) Um, You've got people running out, getting their DNA tested, and it never seems to be coming back with the exact results that you're looking for. And what's interestingly enough, I had my DNA tested back in... 2009, right before I went to Israel. And everyone told me, Chanoch, don't do it. You might find that you're not getting the results that you want. So I went ahead and had them tested. And one was a bit of a surprise. There were two major results. One was a bit of a surprise. And the other was, well, let me just tell you what the other one was. Because this is the main element to it. A drum roll, please. That my family originated at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. Stop it. <gasps> Shock and awe. Wow. <laughs> what? You know, I'm so glad I went and spent that money to have that. Wait, so, so you're Jewish? Well, I, or I could be Phoenician, but, oh, well, but yeah. we're assuming yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, the surprise, though, was as many American Jews, my grandparents came from... Eastern Europe. Right. Um, in the case, uh, my, my personal case, my father's family came from Lithuania and my mother's family came from Bessarabia, uh, which was part of Romania at the time and now is the within the country of Moldova. Anyway, that's what's known as Ashkenazi Jews, Jews of European descent as opposed to Sephardic Jews, Jews of Spain, Portugal, and the Mediterranean Basin, uh, and uh, who lived in Muslim countries. So I'm, you know, was thought to be you know, kind of like purebred Ashkenazi. What does that mean? Nothing. Okay. But the result that they found was somewhere approximately 500 years ago. On my maternal side, genes were introduced that can be found in three Jewish communities worldwide. Bulgaria, Turkey, and Morocco. So in other words, Sephardic. Hmm. And if you then look on your timelines, your historical timelines, what happened about 500 years ago? The expulsion from Spain. Yeah, the Inquisition. Inquisition. Yeah. So Jewishly, that kind of makes me a mutt, which is fine. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. But now the DNA is giving you percentages. So I get people writing me emails saying, Chanoch, I'm 46%, you know, Russian Jewish. How, what percent do I need to get into Israel? to become a citizen, to become you know, considered Jewish and become an Israeli under the law of return. And when I tell them about 
they're like, what? And, and they're missing the point. Yeah. There, there's no, there's DNA, no percentage. Yeah. There's yeah. no, there's no equation. There's no sort of regression equation that you could put through that this is going to work. So we can only operate on what has touched our hearts. And what has touched our hearts is the divine reawakening of his people, as he promised. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And, you know, e- even then, it's it's one of those things where um, you, you and I were having the conversation uh, the other day about not necessarily all Christians being Ephraimites. Right. And uh, it's not that all Christians aren't grafted into Israel, but it's that there's this idea that if if somebody is uh, almost, I want to say, I, I don't want to say anti-Semitic, because maybe anti-Semitic, because I, I hate calling something something that's maybe it's not, right? But maybe they're not attracted to the sound of the shofar. Maybe they're not attracted to, uh, you know, uh, what, what people would consider Jewish things that now we may be considering right. biblical things or right. Hebrew things. Right. Um, you know, that, that when you try to show them in the Bible this kind of walk that brings most people to the Torah, um, they just absolutely can't accept it, won't accept it, you know, whatever, right? That it, maybe they're not an Ephraimite, you know, maybe they're not. And so I think that um, the question is not so much if you want to be an Ephraimite, maybe you can be. Uh, if you if you see it in the Bible and you want to be, you can be. It's not necessarily this idea. I think that there's also this term replacement theology that comes up a lot. Oh, yeah. And, it's you know... A big issue. And it is, it is because uh, real replacement theology is one of those things that, I, you know, it's one of my pet peeves is, is saying that something is this, like calling, you know, our president Hitler, right? He's clearly not Hitler, oh, right? Oh, man, people are out of their minds. Well, it's a gross overstatement, and what yeah. it does is it makes the real thing less... It, it cheapens it. It does. It, absolutely it cheapens does. it. And so when we say, when we call anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism about everything, or when we... Um, when we, uh, you know, try to uh, put labels on things where they don't actually exist, right. it, it makes it it makes it less of a big deal. When you hear that term the next time and somebody says it, it doesn't mean anything it, anymore. It distorts the terminology. You know, an easy way to think about it in a non-theological sense is the way particularly kids will say, I'm starving. Yeah. I'm starving. Yeah. Now, are they really starving? I mean, unfortunately... Sadly, there are children starving all over the world today, right. right now as we speak. So, it, 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 you know, or, or in the same way as, um, as I was taught many years ago, you know, the, the, conversely, the expression love. All uh, right. We all think we know what love means. Right. Okay? Well, let me give you an example. People say, oh man, I love chocolate cake. I mean, do, do you really love it? Yeah. I mean, do you want to spend the rest of your life with it? Would you like to have children with it? Yeah. I mean, is, is you know, so we use terminology and people aren't careful about the terminology yeah. they use. Yeah, and, and different languages have different, you know, even oh, like for sure. the Greek language has three words for love, right? That we would in, in English, you know, throw in there. As, well, I wouldn't know it's all Greek to me. Sorry, yeah. right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, back to the, the the term, we get, we get accused, you know, uh, you know, many, many times of uh, believing in replacement theology. And nothing could be further from the truth. I, I, you know, I would love to address that. Thank you so much for bringing that yeah, up. Yeah, let me just tee that up you for know, you. You know, it's like, <laughs> kind of like, let's throw it at the Jewish guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, and, you know, it, it's something that the quote-unquote Messianic Jewish organizations accuse the Hebrew roots, two-house, you know, Ephraim and Judah restoration movement about all the time. Replacement theology. Let's talk about what replacement theology is 
And then let's clarify for everyone once and for all that the restoration of Judah and Ephraim is not, not, read my lips. You know, of, of course, I realize that, you know, no one is watching this right now. As I, you know, as I have to tell you, I told Pastor Nick this morning, you know, when he asked about the podcast, I said, you know, do you realize I have the perfect face for a podcast? <laughs> he looked at me like, I don't want to tell you what he said in response. Okay. <laughs> Classic church replacement theology yeah. is that the church has replaced Israel and the Jewish people. They're out of it. You know, they're out of prophecy and the church becomes the new Israel. That's classic replacement theology. Absolutely. Okay. The Ephraimite world that I've walked in for 24 years now. And, you know, I was recently teased by someone who said, you know, Hanoch, you've been walking with Ephraimites longer than most people know that they're Ephraimites. So it's, it's kind of a, a weird situation to be in. But people are saying they're part of Israel not to the exclusion or to the replacement, God forbid, of their Jewish brothers and sisters, right. that they're part of Israel. Now then, you know, people get confused. Now, the Jewish people are Jewish and part of Israel. A good way to think about it is all Floridians are Americans, but not all Americans are Floridians. So Ephraim and Judah, all part of Israel, brothers and sisters, not to the exclusion of each one. Well, and me claiming citizenship to the United States doesn't make somebody from Wisconsin any less American. No. And, you know, when I had given this example previously to someone, I had used the example of Texas. And then I was quickly corrected that Texas remains a republic, you know, a nation unto itself. And all of a sudden, you know, we, we went down a rabbit trail that I didn't want to go. So, you know, I try to stick with Florida, the Sunshine State. Yes. You know, Wisconsin, they've got all that great cheese up there. Right. They've got lots of snow. Um, but anyway. Well, and, and you know what? People from Wisconsin and people from Florida live very different lives. They're different people. It's different culture, you know, um, the North versus the South, but it doesn't make us any less part of the same nation. And I think that that's a light bulb for a lot of people when it comes to this, this concept. Absolutely true. Um, it's because it really is a good analogy uh, and, that that you can be a part of something and it not make somebody else not a part of something. It doesn't, it doesn't exclude anyone. And I'm really glad that you mentioned about us being different because our strength as the people of Israel comes from our diversity rather than despite it. Yeah. So, you know, people shouldn't look for a cookie cutter approach, but realize that we're all different, but we're all going in the same direction together, hopefully. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that uh, it's, a, it's another good point um, that we are different. We have uh, different theological bents. Um, and it's, it's one of those things where uh, there is a certain amount of, of distrust um, amongst the the mainstream groups, right? You and I are probably unique in the fact that we're sitting next to each other recording a podcast and very happy about it. Well, I'm reaching for a nine millimeter right now. <laughs> no, just kidding, of course. Uh, now, I mean, but what people don't realize is this needs to be the model. Right. The, the idea that you've got, to, you cannot fellowship with, that you cannot relate to someone that's not the exact again, using the cookie cutter, you know, expression, not the same cookie cutter approach of who you are. We are different. And you know what? And people, you know, like 
really are about to you know have their heads explode about that. Um, there's a great verse in Yirmiyahu and Jeremiah, chapter 46, verse 28, where the Lord says through his prophet, in due course, I will correct you. Now, by the way, for those people who are listening right now and they're flipping through their Bibles, uh, if it doesn't say that, that's a good indicator that y'all need to go and start learning Hebrew better because in the original, that's what it says. In due course, I will correct you. In other words, in due course, when Hashem, when God himself is ready, all of us will receive a correction. Sure. And who does the correcting? He himself. And that's important because, you know, like I always give the example, when my daughters were growing up, it never really worked out really well when they, siblings, would try to correct each other. We should lose the attitude. We should be a lot more humble and a lot less arrogant and not try to, quote unquote, correct other people. And, you know, there's a million issues that could potentially divide people. But what we have in common as the people of Israel far exceeds anything that could potentially divide us. Sure. And, you know, you, you, I think we were talking, uh, or you were talking yesterday, and one of the things that you mentioned was about how, you know, Judah and Joseph are different, and it's not for Judah to try to make Joseph like Judah, That's or to make Joseph, true. to have make Judah like Joseph. And, you know, I guess there's going to be a, a piece, and I, and I want to, you know, Full disclosure, I think there's a piece of every person in the, both of those groups that says, well, there's like a little... Oh, Always, of course. You know, oh, but, you know, um, and, you know, th- you think about it, right? So from a, for a, people who are, are in evangelical Christianity, and they're happy about the good news, right? The gospel. For them to not share it with somebody, it, you know, on their end, it's like, well, hey, if I have the greatest news ever and I don't share it uh, with somebody that can help them as well... Am I really liking that person and being a friend to them or not? And so, that, so it's this different perspective until somebody one day tells them, hey, by the way, you're the 98th person this week to do so. And it, it at this point is doing more harm than good. Right. And, and so, but then there's the flip on the other side. You know, there's people that are so fearful of, of quote unquote Judaizers, you know, that they're going to come and they're going to get you and they're going to steal your Jesus. And it's like, you know, do I have to compromise my faith in Yeshua to be friends with you? Absolutely not. And, you know, it's really, really important for people to realize, let's acknowledge what's what I think is incredibly obvious, that God, for whatever reason, chose to lay it out for us, and each of us were to walk a different path. And he, and only he, will put us all together as one. Until that moment, we are to draw close to each other, work together because mm-hmm. i gotta tell you you know what using the the you know back to the joseph story it's like you know he's lowered into the pit and off in the distance the brothers see the ishmaelite caravan coming let me tell you ryan the ishmaelites are coming for all of us <laughs> and you know for people who are listening or saying well you know that's that's just these you know the jews and the ephraimites you know it no, 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 no. The Muslims say very clearly, when they're finished with the Saturday people, they're coming for the Sunday people. Hmm. So now's the time for us to stand up, stand together, and work together, and do what we can to show our beloved Avinu Shabashamayim, our Father in Heaven, that we've learned to play in the same sandbox together nicely, and now can share toys. 
Yeah, yeah, and you know, uh, it's funny. I was listening to Avi Lipkin. I think he was—he actually may have been. This may have been here. Where I was having a conversation with him, and uh, you know, he's talking. He he has written many books over the years on Islam and and this and that. And um, you know, he he you know, this is kind of a, an odd statement for him. He says our biggest enemy is atheism at this point. Think about it. You know, you, you have all these people who are now saying there is either no God or we are God. You know, God yeah. forbid. Yeah. Wow. Um. And that's uh, and and losing faith, and it's it's like, wait, do we have common goals? Do we have a common worldview? Uh, it, they call it the Judeo-Christian ethic. <laughs> right? Gee, I wonder where that terminology came from, and why? <laughs> you know, but yet uh, for some reason, um, you know, we're supposed to be fearful of one another, as if somehow, you know, it's going to. I actually read this on Facebook the other day. Somebody saying that Messianic Jews are the most dangerous thing to Jews today. And I was just like, man, as one of those, another one of those things where the word dangerous and most dangerous. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, that is so not the case. You know, coming from the traditional Jewish perspective, you know, what people use, you know, the terminology, which you know, I'm not a big fan of, you know, quote unquote, orthodox. Sure. You know, I've never thought of myself as a noun in search of an adjective. <laughs> so, you know, the, the terminology really doesn't, doesn't mean anything. But, you know, people, you know, they, they throw out, this one's a danger, this one's a, you know what? People are going to walk how they walk. And we all need to understand that we need to be focused on doing what we can to help set the stage to bring the final redemption. Yeah. Well, and I, I um, you know, I, I feel like, you know, as for, for the Christians that are listening, you may be listening and you're hearing like, well, you know, uh, what about the Great Commission? What about this? What about that? And it's like, you know, um, if... If at the end of the day, if at the end of the day, our, our goal is to witness, the word witness is not necessarily to beat somebody's head over or with the Bible. Our, our job is to be a witness. If we are not living and being and showing love to one another like Yeshua, then how, how is anybody ever going to have anything to listen to us anyways? I mean, it, really. I mean, it's it's not necessarily about what I think people think it's about, if that makes sense. Um, I think that we can have common goals and interests with people who have the same common goals and interests of us and work together on those without some ulterior agenda. Um, I think too many times, um, God forbid, the, the, the Jewish people have been through so much because of Christianity over the years that all of a sudden uh, what happens is, hey, we're going to be your friend until ultimately you don't convert and then we're just going to burn your, your synagogue down and your house down and all this. And that's not acceptable behavior and it's not Christ-like at all. And so if if at any point we ever want to have an opportunity for anybody to listen to what we have to say, we first have to live it. And when it comes to this message of Ephraim and Judah coming together, show me where in the scripture it says that Judah and Ephraim are exactly alike or they think the same or they have the same theology uh, as each other when they come together. It says that they'll have one king, that it'll be the Mashiach. And that he'll be the one that settles all of it, right? Yeah. And so it's like, who are we fooling here that, you know, I I know how I'm grafted in, right? And so for me, I come from, that I'm obviously an Ephraimite, right? So it's like this idea that somehow we have to change each other. Um, it it's, it's, what it is, it's ludicrous. And you know what? When we focus on those kind of things, we lose focus 
on what we need to be doing, building now. And also, you know, for those who are listening to this and they're saying, well, I'm not so sure. Just remember, in John 4.22, when he says, salvation is of the Jews, don't worry about us, we're fine. Well, yeah. <laughs> you're funny. So the... Um... So it's how, you've obviously been doing this what twenty four years. So you, you learned about these folks right. that are that think that they're part of Israel, right. and then you've just that flipped a switch, and then you started speaking to well, groups or yes and no, because I'll be honest with you, I didn't know what to do with you, which is fine because you didn't know what to do with yourself. Yeah, we don't know either. what to do with us. So it really was was really interesting in the sense of we kind of did you know the hokey pokey. You know, kind of, you know, took a step in, took a step out, took a step in, took a step out, uh, because things were even far more disorganized and chaotic than they are now. Hard to believe, huh? Um, so that is hard to believe. We have the internet now. So yeah. So <laughs> we have Facebook. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know. And YouTube. Yeah, that's right. What? What more? Ca- oh, we get an Instagram. So let's oh, not man. forget that. Yeah, let's not forget that. Um, but it wasn't until. 2005, when I basically, you know, I, I, I've tried to run away from this movement many, many times. And I guess kept getting dragged back in because it was on my heart that I needed to be with my brothers and sisters. Now, I was still living in New York at the time. Um, and it, 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 I just, I couldn't explain it. And what was interesting is the people I was, I was meeting were not from New York. They lived in places like, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina, St. Francisville, Louisiana, Athens, Tennessee. I mean, I just, so I, I started going to people and began speaking publicly to groups back in 2005. Um, that was kind of a, a, a watershed. And in 2008, and in 2008 also, uh, I was invited to come to the uh, annual meeting of um the Messianic Israel Alliance, the MIA. Um, it was in St. Louis at the time. Um, and they asked me to get up and say a few words. And what was interesting is, I think they asked me, you know, I say a few things for, you know, four or five minutes. And I'll be honest with you, I couldn't see the clock in the back of the room because of the lights. And I spoke for what I thought was, you know, seven, eight minutes perhaps. A good friend of mine uh, now, John McQuarrie, actually, when I got up to speak, for whatever reason, thought the idea that a traditionally believing Jewish person speaking at the Messianic Israel Alliance was some kind of like event he wanted to record, pulled out his record, you know, his, his video camera and filmed it. And he actually shared the footage with me not long ago. And I actually spoke for about 20 minutes, but that's okay. It's, it's you know, it's, you know, <laughs> time flies and you're yeah, having time fun. Flies you're having fun. Um, but it really wasn't until after I went to Israel in 2009 that not only becoming a... Because what was interesting is the tour guides course in Israel is incredibly masochistic. It's very hard to get into. It's two years. And, you know, as I mentioned yesterday, I... In America, I finished two master's degrees and got three quarters of the way through a third one. If you took all that graduate work together and compared it to the tour guides course, it pales in comparison. Tour guides course was much harder. And as I was finishing the tour guides course, right before I took the national exams to get my license... I began having that unsettled feeling again that I needed to be doing something. And that something turned out to be going back primarily to the United States, but not exclusively, to Ephraimite groups around the world, reaching out to my brothers and sisters, welcoming them, encouraging them, and giving them a hug, literally and figuratively. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, and they need it. You know, I think it's um, uh, a lot of these people have given up a lot, you know, or they've had, um, you know, family that they get ridiculed by because of the their, you know, love for Torah, their love for God, and the the way that they've they've started to change the the things that they do. And yeah, it's they, they've they've sacrificed horribly. I mean, it, it it it's been very very tough. I've heard you know the most horrific stories. Uh, you know, people being alienated from their families, uh, marriages breaking up, their neighbors won't let their children play with, 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 you know, these folks, kids. It just, it, uh, tremendous sacrifices people have made for this walk. Yeah, absolutely. So what would you say has been your biggest challenge um, within, you know, since you've received the vision and an opportunity to, to meet with the Fryan? Okay. And- well, since I started coming back, and this is now my 15th trip to the U.S. since August 2013, I mean, my, 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 the biggest challenge I face is trying to afford it, I'll be honest with you. You know, in Israel, we have the same cost of living as the Northeast United States. Our salaries are on average a third of U.S. salaries. Uh, and as a tour guide, you know, a self-employed individual, when I'm not in Israel guiding, I'm not earning money. And, you know, it's kind of funny the way that works sure, out. yeah. So the financial challenges, the physical challenges of traveling so much of, you know, like every other night, you know, you know, being in some other bed, some other place, some other town, uh, you know, catching flights back and forth. Those are the kind of physical challenges. The more core challenge is convincing my brothers and sisters, not only of my sincerity, but the fact that we're living at a time when God is on the move and we need to get our acts together and the restoration is going to come through love and caring and open hearts and acceptance. That doesn't mean that you agree with people. But one thing you can learn from the Jewish side of the family is agreeing to disagree. Yeah. It's not that big a deal. Yeah. No, I, I get that. So, uh, so in all your travels... Um, and in your personal observation, what needs to be addressed among those that believe that they're part of the Lost Tribes or part of Ephraim? Right. It's a sense of... And it's interesting because the issue isn't Ephraim and Judah. They're Jewish brothers and sisters. It's Ephraim and Ephraim. It's the unwillingness that people have to accept that everyone is on a different stage in their walk, And we're all following the path towards God. We're all following his will as best we understand it. And love and caring go a much longer way than pulling out a club and beating someone and labeling everything that they do that you don't like and you don't do as pagan. I got to tell you, that's the most abused word in the English language today in this movement. Everything that people do, wow, that's pagan, all that's pagan. And they're also forgetting that just a few years ago, they were sitting in that exact same seat doing the same things. Well, it's a, it's funny. Um, you know, after you've been in this movement for a while, you've kind of come out of uh, mainstream Christianity or evangelical Christianity, and you've started into the Hebrew roots. Uh, you're still a, a, a Christian in the sense that you believe in Yeshua, but you are doing things differently. Um, you know, a lot of like, you'll meet Jews and they'll be like, "Oh, you're more Jewish than I am," you know. And so you're not, <laughs> but you're not Jewish enough for the Jewish people, and you're not right. Christian enough for the Christians. So you kind of have yeah. this this middle road, right? 
And, uh, you know, what happens is you start to, in the very beginning, realize all of these things that you feel like are an error. And I can tell you this from personal experience. Right. And you become what we call, uh, you know, uh, lovingly, a Torah terrorist. Yeah. You know, and you pull out your, your Torah bullets and you start mowing everybody down, you know, and, and uh, you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be doing that. And you forget all of the things that maybe Christianity had right. Yeah. Love, grace. Um, you know, uh, giving people the benefit of the doubt, um, you know, realizing that, just like you said, just a few months or years ago, you were doing those same things that you people, now people think are... People forget that so readily. And, you know, the, the terminology that I use is actually a Bible bully. Okay, uh, yeah. You know, because going back to your earlier point at the beginning about, you know, the way people use language, uh, in Israel, we view terrorism you know, to have a whole different kind of sure, meaning. Sure, So Bible bullies, but, you know, people who, who basically want to take their Bible and they want to slap you upside your head till you understand that a particular verse the way they do. And they forget the love and compassion that we're all supposed to have for each other. Well, they forget the global message yeah, for of sure. the Bible. And for so sure. and so that's the thing, you know, you have to remember, you know, if 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 you're part of Israel... And you go and you read, you know, uh, Pastor Nick is, 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 is famous for saying this over and over again. You read uh, Isaiah 40 through 66, and you find the word Israel. What is Israel supposed to be doing? So now you're part of Israel. Go read Isaiah 40 through 66 and find Israel in it. What is Israel doing? Israel is serving, and Israel is loving, and Israel is a witness. So if you're not serving and you're not loving, then you're not a witness for God. Period. End of story. And so, it, uh, all the best leadership books and things. I, I hear people talk about this analogy of block and tackle, block and tackle with football. These basics. Oh, you always got to get back to the basics. Get back to the basics. Well, within the the biblical view, the basics are these: love, serve, love, serve. You got a bad attitude? Go love somebody. Go serve somebody. That's that, Ryan. That is that is exceptional. I, I wish people would really internalize that, really believe it, and really live it. Well, and can you love and serve somebody that doesn't think the way that you do or doesn't have the understanding that you do? Right, and of course we had yet. <laughs> the end of that statement always, you know, that doesn't have the same understanding as you yet. Okay, well, you know, you know the thing that's interesting is, and, and you know, it always makes people uncomfortable when the Jewish guy in the room brings this up, but, you know, I had the, the privilege of learning much of what I know from the New Testament from Eddie Chumney, and among the things, it's a good that, source. Yeah, absolutely. That's and among the source. things that Eddie taught me, first of all, was the the key element of you know Matthew fifteen twenty four. Yeshua says that he has come, but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, he was coming for your side of the family, the Jewish people. In that time of history, were not known as the house of Israel. It was Judah. Uh, we weren't lost sheep. All those different elements. But here's the here's the kicker. He went over repeatedly about the caring that Yeshua showed, his acceptance of people that were so different from his disciples. So I guess... People that hated him. I guess I've got to kind of bounce it back at people and say, if you consider yourself a disciple of Yeshua, and of course they hate it when the Jewish guy in the room is pointing this out to them, but wouldn't you want to emulate those actions and try to do that yourself? A hundred percent. And and you know what? Uh, uh, what is it they say? Uh, uh, you got to walk the walk. You can't just talk the talk. Yeah, and that's and that, absolutely true. Right. And so it, it'll put your money where your mouth is. You know, um, 
it, but that's the, that's the point, you know, that, that when we as believers, as disciples of Yeshua, that's a great way to put it, we need to be disciples first and humble. And he says, the first will be last and the last will be first. Do we take these things seriously? Because I can tell you that our brothers in the church do. They do. They take these things seriously. They are teaching these higher level concepts, but then they go to Holy Hog Barbecue after church. And then we want to point at that as if that's the big error. But who's in the big error? The people who are not loving and serving or the people who are eating pork? I would argue the people who are not loving and serving because you probably still shouldn't eat pork. But you, you, it doesn't matter what you're doing if you're not loving and serving. Yeshua famously, you, 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 the Pharisees, he's talking to them. And they're saying, you know, they, they tithe their spices. They do all these things, these little, little knickknacks of the, 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 the minor things, right? They're majoring in the minors of the law. And Yeshua comes and says, you should have done all these things plus not neglected the widow and the orphan. Yeah, it's not, it's not one or the other. Right. It's the whole enchilada. It's the whole enchilada. Well, and it's, it's a thing of maturity. I, I believe that this walk is a progressive revelation. God's only going to give you as much as you can handle. So he's going to give it to you. And if you're not passing that test, you get to take that test over and over and over again until you pass it. And you're not going to get to that next level until you do. And so I right. think that's a, an overall... Uh, uh, overall concept. So I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. See, look at that. See, See all the things well, we agree on. Eh? Yeah, we may even like the same flavor of ice cream. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows where this can lead? Who knows? I like a lot of different flavors of ice cream. So oh I, well, I, there you have it. <laughs> um. So Hanak, what are you hoping for in regards to the two houses, Judah and Ephraim, uh, being restored and regathered? What, what do you see as as the okay. end game? Wow, that's actually that's a great question, and it's incredibly simple. The answer is everything. The final redemption, the the Messiah ruling, the exiles ingathered, the temple rebuilt, the world coming to an understanding of the knowledge of the Torah, the Torah, following it, the world's at peace, everything is great. Of course, we still have to work and mow the lawn and all those fun things, but the whole thing the restoration of all of Israel. Amen. No, that's, that's, I, that's great. You know, it's, uh, it's funny. I read a book, uh, by the gentleman who is actually, uh, interestingly enough, uh, attributed as the father of British Israelism. His name is J.H. Allen. The book was written in 1901. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I'm familiar with it. Yeah. Disclaimer. Uh, we are, we, we do not believe in British Israelism. Yes, we are not supporting that. It's just a reference yes. to something that someone said. Yeah. So, but he says this statement in it that uh, if you don't understand the two houses of Israel, then seven eighths of the meaning of the Bible is hidden from you. And it's That's it's incredibly true. And and it is. And and what's what's cool about the book that I read by J. H. Allen um, is that it's all pretty much spot on. Like up until like probably the last quarter, right? That's when he takes the dive into yeah. wh- where the, are the Israelites now. And again, yeah. all of which could possibly maybe be true. At in, least partially. Right. At least partially. But not totally. Yeah. And But does it matter, I guess, is the question from a faith standpoint. And the answer to, to is me, no. To me, it doesn't. It no. doesn't. It doesn't. No, no, absolutely not. Well, and, and there's no, there is no way to go back and, and, and trace it, right? So it's like... It's a futile exercise, I guess. Yeah. Why would you be spending your time right. 
which could be better served doing a lot of other things. Like loving and serving. Wow, what a concept. What a concept. So, but anyway, so, but that, that concept that he mentions of that seven-eighths of the meaning of the Bible are hidden from you, that you can't read the prophets and see the word Israel and just say, oh, that's the Jews as a Christian, because that's what we do in modern Christianity. We just think, oh, that's the Jews. Oh, the Jews are going to go through another Holocaust. Oh, the the Jews, it's the Jews, all the bad stuff, Jews, all the good stuff, Christians, you know? And that's not an accurate way to read scripture. No, not at all. Even if it is convenient, which I I don't think it is. But even if you find it convenient, it's still not an accurate way to read scripture. And and it does... um, And it's true. The seven-eighths of the meaning of the Bible are hidden for you. You can't accurately read what it's saying if you don't understand the the two houses and the history and how it's playing out. Because if if the redemption, if the great redemption, if the reason for Yeshua is coming the first time, is coming the second time, the Mashiach coming is the restoration and the regathering of the two houses of Israel, and you don't understand the restoration of the... Re- you don't understand the two houses... You're missing the whole point. Then you're point. missing the whole point. Exactly right. Do you have any final thoughts before we, we close... Um, other than the fact that I wish I, you know, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be with you today here, Ryan. This is great. Um, look forward to doing it again when I'm in the area here in Brandon, Florida. Absolutely. Um, really look forward to, uh, getting together and sitting down together in Israel as well. Um, and you know what? This is how we're going to change the world one soul at a time, one person at a time, one heart at a time. Amen. And it starts with someone saying, hi, how are you? That's right. And we don't have to create the one world religion while we're at it. No. (laughs) No. I just, uh, you know, I I get all the things that people are worried about. And and you know what it is? It's uh, it's the hoopla. It's the the things that, um, it's, it's, uh, what is it? It's uh, it's hype. It's yeah, the things it's, that people are using a, to sell books. It's the things yeah. that people are using to sell news stories. It's the things that people are using to get you to click on their their ads and things like that on the internet. Yeah, and uh, reality is smoke and mirrors. Yeah, reality is good enough on its own that you don't have to to yeah. make stuff up. So I I'm sorry. I, I just want to you know mention if people want to get in touch with me, you can go to my website, which is kolyehuda.com. By the way, Kol Yehuda just means a voice from Judah. K O L Y-E-H-U-D-A dot com. Um, you can find out information about my tours, about my next series of speaking dates in America. Uh, there's a contact form. You can reach out to me. If you or your community uh, would like to host me, I'll actually be back in America at the end of June for a few weeks in July, um, speaking throughout the U.S. Um, it's got my blog on it, which I've committed to you know, uh, and by the way, the blog is focused on Israel. Uh, if you want articles that I've written about the restoration of Judah and Ephraim, you can go to unitedtorestore.com, U-N-I-T-E-D, with the number two, restore.com. But again, on my website, you've got all that information, the guiding contacts. It even has one of those magical donate buttons. So if you'd like to do your little part and help, you know, me be able to get this message of mutual respect for the restoration, you know, reconciliation, restoration of all of Israel. That's the way to do it. Thank you so much, Ryan. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, yeah no, thank you. I, I really appreciate you being here with us. And uh, imagine that the two houses are sitting right here. Yeah. Judah and Ephraim. I mean, you know, if uh, if you are a believer in the two houses and you don't have the other house in your life, 
then uh, how are you ever going to It's one restarted? hand clapping, guys. It's only one hand clapping. <laughs> so doesn't funny. make a great sound. Anyways, all right. So you guys know how to reach out to us. You can uh, reach out to us on the web at twopraise.net. You can email me at ryan at twopraise.net. You can call the office here at 813-654-2222. Uh, we appreciate you listening as always. And if, uh, if you need anything, uh, don't hesitate to call us or email us. God bless and have a great week.